0: My name is Megan Smalley and I'm with Recycling Today magazine. Welcome to Recycling Today Media Group podcasts. I'm here today with Jennifer Porter, who is a vice president at Gershman, Brickner, and Bratton Inc. She's based out of New York. Jennifer has been with the company for about three years. She has more than 17 years of experience on the government and private sector sustainability initiatives, with experience and expertise in solid waste management, recycling, and composting programs. Thanks for coming on the show today, Jennifer. Thank you so much for having me. Great. Now, to start things off, how did you get into waste and recycling 17 years ago? Um,
1: I think it's a topic that I've always gravitated to in my life growing up. Um, I was the youngest of four, uh, four growing up in Pennsylvania. Uh, my family was really conscious about, you know, having bundles of newspapers and um, uh, for recycling in the 70s and early 80s, we tried to grow our own food and we're just minded um, around resources. So growing up in that environment in high school, I was always connected to ecology club and other kind of recycling efforts whenever I could. And by the time I got, uh, I had, did an undergrad degree in liberal arts in upstate New York at Wells College, but I knew, that I wanted to get more into um, problem solving on on cities level. So I ended up in grad school in 2001 in Portland, Oregon. I went to Portland State University and got my master's in urban and regional planning and really focused that uh, way of seeing the world through how cities work, um, focused that around sustainability and recycling, composting, and resource use.
0: Got it. So even back in high school, you knew this might be something you wanted to do.
1: Yes, I, I, I think from the from the time I was that I can remember um, thinking about career choices. It was always something that was important to me, um, both you know personally and in my community, whatever size it was. If it was school or an organization, I was always thinking about. How, um, how we purchase things, how we use products, and what happened to them at the end.
0: Got it. And you said your family was very involved in sustainability initiatives, environmental mm-hmm. things. So what got them into that? I think
1: it was, you know, I had come from um, a family that is, um, my dad's Polish, my mom's English, Welsh, and German. I think they just sort of have a, a way, you know, growing up like post-World uh, War generation sort of just have an ethic of conservation that is just part of who they are. So that was passed down from my parents and family to my four siblings and or myself and my three siblings. So I think it's part of who I've always been and and like I said, how I frame the world. So not so much that I wouldn't say that we, you know, grew for example, all of our food, but it was definitely part of sort of self-sufficiency and resilience that was a part of how we how we operated as a family.
0: Got it. And so after college, what was your first job in the recycling and waste industry, and what was that like?
1: Mm-hmm. I actually started an internship with the city of Portland, Oregon while I was in grad school, and I was... Uh, it was actually three months before I got married and it was not a really it wasn't a great time for me because I was very busy I was getting married back on the East Coast to my husband where we had grown up we were out in Portland and there was, this internship came up and I thought this is this is exactly what I wanted to do They were looking for someone to help to estimate food waste potential in the city of Portland's waste stream and I was supposed to do a three month assignment and I thought this is bad time for me personally but I'm absolutely gonna do this and that was. Um, let's see, it was this summer, just before the summer of 2002. and basically once I, I started that was at the time it was called the Office of Sustainable Development. Now it's called the Bureau of Planning and Sustainability. But in any case, I never laughed. Um, I was there all the way through 2008 when it, when my husband and I moved back to the East Coast, but I became came on staff after the internship and essentially, Um, just stuck with it. I was a conservation program coordinator in the residential program. So I did, we did pilot projects. We wrote the Portland recycles plan and rolled out from the little, the little yellow bins that were the Portland icon curbside bins forever. We rolled out roll carts um, for recycling and set up for food waste at the curb. And it was, it was a great time.
0: Got it. And what was it like working in the city of Portland on sustainability measures Recycling and food waste efforts.
1: I think it was for me uh, such a great place to be introduced to the topic, since so, their so their curbside program had been in place um, since the late '80s, early '90s, and Bruce Walker, who's still there as the program manager, has just really got a great team, and I felt really fortunate to be with with that group and working in the you know the metro. Um, area, which also has really good local government coordination, you know, having Metro as the regional government out there. So there's a lot of connection to the other cities in the area. Portland at the time had about a half a million people, the Metro area over two million people. So and I I love one of my favorite parts was really working with all the haulers. Uh, We had a residential franchise that came up for renewal. We did uh, every 10 years. So that happened when I was there. And also we did an annual rate study. Um like I said, wrote the Portland Recyclers plan to try to advance the recycling goal. it was it was great and I loved working with all the um, the hauling companies, um, some of which were s- small and some larger.
0: Now, in the last three years you started to work at GBB. How did you get involved there?
1: Yeah, that's interesting actually because I knew GBB from when I was in Portland at the national conferences. there was a lot of you know connection to you'd meet a lot of people at the national conferences. So I, um, from the National Recycling Coalition conference in particular, I remember, um, connecting to GBB. And it's just one of those contexts that once I moved back to the East coast in 2008, we sort of, um, kept up and, you know, at the, at the time I, I was managing a, um, a federal grant program in Pennsylvania and <clears throat> didn't go directly to GBB. I spent some time in New York area working on, like I said, managing a federal workforce grant program and then doing more interior sustainability work. I worked for a time with healthy buildings on um, air quality and energy efficiency programs. And then uh, reconnected to GBB, like you said, a few years ago and, and took the opportunity to really reconnect to my love of cities and places all over. And since that time, I've, I've really been to a lot of a lot of places. It's been great.
0: Awesome. Now, what are some of the unique projects that GBB has worked on in the recycling sphere that you've got to work on with them?
1: Yeah, one of my favorite projects and maybe longest term projects that I've been on since I got with GBB is with uh, Kent County, Michigan. So this is West Michigan, um uh, Grand Rapids area. There's more than you know, 650,000 people, and they have a great vision to really change the paradigm of waste in their area. They have set a goal to reduce waste uh, 20% by 2020 and 90% by 2030. And they, though they operate the MRF and the landfill, and they have a uh, waste energy facility, they they want to do something different. And get out of the landfill business, and really, uh, they're focusing the effort around the concept of a sustainable business park or eco park, and um, having more processing technology that can tie into manufacturing. In a, they actually have two hundred fifty acres of space next to their current landfill that they're developing, and we. Um, Worked with the team and wrote a master plan for that 250 acres, which was unanimously passed by their DPW board last year. And just really excited for them as we continue to move forward with the team to um, more implementation of that. But it's been it's a great example, I think, of really vision and also um, a community that has both vision and influence over uh, facilities and um, can really make a difference.
0: Got it. And what's been your role in that project?
1: I've been project manager for GBB's efforts. So basically through the master plan process, essentially we coordinated a whole group of stakeholders from the, um, from the county, as well as we had an um, uh, engineering our, um, architecture firm, a uh, public outreach firm financial uh, modeling firm. So we had a number of um, subconsultants on the team and we uh, developed uh, the master plan, like I said, last year and are now heading forward into the implementation.
0: Awesome. And with this project, is it something that you're hoping to roll out to other communities? Yes,
1: very much. And I would say for GBB um, in particular, this is a focus area, this um, circular economy uh, sustainable business parks, eco parks, and we have a number of clients actually who are um, gearing up for either strategic planning processes or also have facilities. In the Kent example, they have a their current landfill cells are expected to fill in eight years, so they have a you know increasingly urgent need to figure out the next steps. And we have a number of clients in that position also who are trying to figure out in. The next, you know, three to five years. What can they be putting into place for maybe the next five to ten years?
0: Got it. Are you able to say what cities are starting to consider this or areas of the U.S.? Actually, I would say
1: right now I'm working in um, I'm working in Boston area, Vermont, um, Ohio, Michigan, and Oregon. Okay, and I would say not to say. In particular, there's a plan on the table with every one of those places, but I will say uh, there are there's interest in this topic and also just the concept of tying in the, the waste processing to manufacturing is really intriguing to, I think, people on all sides of the political spectrum and sort of belief because it's about um, jobs and keeping resources locally in a community and what can people do to have more resiliency to market changes and other things that are happening. So... Um, I don't have anybody that, you know, I'd say in particular this is their next step, but a lot of people are considering it right now.
0: Got it. And when you go into different communities, do you have to know all of the local legislations and rules? Does that play a factor yes. in these plans?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So basically, and that's where I think my, this has been a perfect marriage for me of my interest in in cities and towns, and how what makes them work, and also the topical area of waste and resources, because basically, on every um, project that we either propose to work on, or you know, interview for, or get the get the project, you have to really become pretty connected to what's happening politically, legislatively, and and who who are the players. And I think that the understanding of state laws, um, local codes, and really making sure you have the people on your team that can help you to decipher that quickly is is really critical. So, yes, it's, it's always a factor.
0: What states have more hurdles or cities? Are you able to say that? or? I
1: mean, I think just in general there there are places, like, for example, in California, there's a lot there's many more mandates coming down in terms of what um, you need to do for type of generator and what kind of diversion you need with food waste and other categories. But also, you know, um, in New York and New york city and and the state, more regulations coming down again around organics and requirements on businesses of certain size. I would say, I would highlight sort of the coast, but there are also places in the middle that, that have local local policies and laws. You're seeing some of that come out with like plastic bag bans and other things that are happening in, in places to try to drive people's awareness of waste issues. But in terms of states, I would kind of think the, the coast and, and the Northwest in general.
0: Now, looking ahead to 2020. What are some projects that you're hoping to start working on, or what are projects that GBB is hoping to work on in the new year?
1: Uh, GBB, we have in terms of future projects in this next year. I mean, we have a number of people and staff that focus on certain areas. Mine's mine's more connected to this. Idea of planning and strategy, specifically around long-term, you know, short-term and long-term thinking with the circular models. But we do have staff focusing more on processing side and waste characterization studies and energy and, and landfill issues. But I would say, for me personally, when I'm looking at the the clients in the states and the places that I'm in at this point, many of them are going to be. Um, we're hoping follow on or connected projects next year. So again, in Michigan, we're hoping to continue on the development of the master plan in Oregon, working on a facility study right now for a county that we're hoping can, will, you know, continue as they look at future options on a a 50 year timeline, actually looking out 50 years. I have a, a, my Boston area client is looking at future options for a landfill that's closing and we're um, helping to also think about some long-term processing options for them as opposed to transfer and disposal in the short term. But what could they build um, as a host community to really um, impact, like, again, that paradigm shift of a um, how we think of waste as a resource as opposed to um, just discards? And then in Vermont... Um, Again, there we're helping community look at some models for consolidated collection as opposed to having um, open market now. So that project, you know, all these things, I'm always hopeful that people want to implement the ideas that we come up with. So I think I'm hoping to carry that forward and then just continue to meet new people. I have a real sense of urgency to this work. I think it's now I have enough gray hairs and have been around enough, I, I really want to work with people in places that are looking to make a change now. And for me, a lot of that's driven by the idea that we have a short time here on the planet. We should have as much positive impact as possible. And I, I care a lot about local jobs and resources, as well as um, environmental impacts and just thinking about future generations. So I'm really, I'm looking forward to it. I know it's challenging times out there and the uh, markets are really difficult, but I think it's also an opportunity to do something different and really present a um, new face for the industry going forward.
0: Got it. And looking back at your career, what do you think has been the project you've had the most success on and why? And what did you like about that project?
1: That's a good question. I have had a number of different takes on this since I've been in public sector, private sector, I've worked in the non-profit sector. I think what is a, a a tie for me is always the idea of solving complex problems and bringing together smart people that care, that want to make a difference to, to solve that problem. It's just something that's always, that's why I liked working in the city of Portland. It was, you know, Big issues and bringing together a team and being a team player to, in that case, you know, really change a collection system for uh, future for future options. And, you know, I think when I think about current work with GBB, my favorite part definitely has been the diversity and also just bringing together people to that want to make a difference and giving a lot of what I do is sort of creating process and a platform for taking a good idea and making it happen. And I think uh, when I was, like I said, when I was managing that uh, federal workforce grant, that was a similar, similar situation where I had to bring together a lot of diverse people and um, come up with some solutions for uh, career and tech and training. And you know that that program has continued today and has a. Has a great legacy that I'm proud of, and I think that's my always my goal is to try to create both the lasting relationships with people and also systems and things that can go on beyond me. Because you know, even if you're um, in a place for a decade or more, it's still a relatively short amount of time, and other people coming after you. I think it's really important to keep integrity and really lay foundation foundational work that can carry on after you go
0: now you've done a lot of work with municipalities communities what are some key messages that you try to share with them when you're starting a project how much education do you have to do When you go into communities,
1: usually with GBB, we're coming into a place that has already identified a problem and they're saying, hey, we need help. There's usually a very formal procurement process saying these are the these are the five tasks that we need. However, I will say there are places that um, have a more open ended situation where they can say, look, we have a problem. We have very low recycling participation. We have high contamination. We do not have any mandates from above. We have certain maybe elected um, and department interest in having better programs, but we're not sure what the right option is. You know, we just don't, we, we don't know how to go forward. We have, we're, we have a contract for our MRF that's coming due. We have a collection contract that's coming due. We're trying to figure out the best way forward. And that that is also um, a, a way that we come in with clients. So to your question of, you know, how much education do you do, it's... Usually, we're working with people who are thinking about solid waste and recycling, composting as a topic. But in terms of how much, uh, you know, front end work we do as a group to identify and really frame the problem, and then um, look at sort of an options analysis going forward. That you know, not everybody is in that position, but we do find that as a, um, a way that we do get working in a community. And the nice thing about that is, again, to my point of building legacy, like you set these things up and hopefully either we or someone else is going to then continue to do the work and implement the ideas that have been generated and the, the pathways that are, have come forth. But it is, I would say, more on the side of people have a specific agenda that we are implementing maybe 75% of the time and 25% of the time we're more helping uh, to flesh that out with the municipal governments or the, the towns and the cities and counties.
0: Now, what do you see as some of the biggest issues today in recycling and waste industry, and why is that?
1: Well, I think that there, there are people who are always in tune to these issues. Like, I describe myself as a person that's always been aware of, of materials and how they flow through you know, production and purchase and use and and discard. And I think, you know, there's people that are framed by other areas, you know, they think about health or finances or different areas and ways of valuing and framing the world. So you're not going to have everybody um, ever on the same page. But I think the one of the challenges that we're facing now is that we – in the past, when the curb, when many of the curbside programs came online, which was you know late '80s, early '90s, it was a different, completely different market space, and there was actually you know money coming back to the communities uh, in the rate structures and other things based on the market and uh, for paper and the commodities. And now what we're seeing is that you know communities are just it's totally flip flopped with the with the um, China impact the impact of the China um, scrap ban and and the market changes it's it's really significant and I think this this is the crisis like opportunity that I was saying before so now we have to have I think a lot of transparency with people people always fear like I said you had the early adopters that were always eager recyclers but then when everybody started getting roll carts and you know everybody participating and recycling at the curb I think we just ran into a lot of challenges with contamination and meaning people putting trash and things that aren't supposed to be in the recycling into the container and with the markets being so high for a while you could you could sort of mask the impact of that and now that we've had such tightening of what the standards are for commodities it's it's basically there's no room in the system anymore for the for the um the wrong behavior to be getting into the bin so I think that it's the opportunity of this crisis is to say, you know, how can we reimagine this situation? And how can we give incentives to those people that are really wanting to do it right and uh, and figure out systems for the people that maybe are never going to get on board and are doing it wrong? And how can we think more for them, for that situation on the processing side, what can be done so that? you know, this is, this is a really interesting time in the industry. And maybe you always think that when you're, this is your way of seeing the world, but I think this is a particular moment of, um, yet to be determined how it's going to play out in terms of what, um, how it impacts our industries, but it's, it's a real chance to do something different.
0: Got it. Do you see some MRFs or communities doing things different that might be a way for the future?
1: Yeah, I do. I, um, I know there's some um, communities that have taken back some of their, you know, have tried to just focus on the big four, big five commodities in terms of what they're taking at the curb. And interestingly, I was in a conversation with someone recently about their programs and in the Midwest, and they had restricted some of the items. Because of the, the the market changes in the last year, and they're they're thinking of coming back at it in a um, expanding expanding a drop off program with more um, incentives for people that really want to do it right, and giving them basically more of an opt in program for the people that you know really want to recycle. So you don't have uh, you know everybody with the the bin that isn't going to do it right, and you know from my original curbside perspective that's not how i saw the world i thought it makes more sense to just give everybody the bin so they're out there and you get more material but like i said in in i think that because so much of the cost in the system comes on the collection side that you really have to be mindful now when we're seeing such a discrepancy and basically so much more um so much more expensive to recycle per ton than it is to dispose even in places with high tip fees that i think It's forcing us to think again about how do we how do we really get the people and the materials that we want as source separated, and then how do we think about you know everything that's left in the trash that could be recycled, which is a significant number or composted or um, digested. That how do we how do we address that, and that they're not necessarily um, it's not necessarily this business as usual. So I think people are really uh, looking closely at, you know, how can we get what we want here, which is more clean material and more material that stays in a closed loop in the system as opposed to um, going to waste.
0: Got it. And you've also, at GBB, helped with recruiting and managing younger professionals. Could you talk a little bit about best practices and recruiting? Because I think that's another issue that waste and recycling is facing today and they're trying to figure out how do you get people into the MERV how do you get people to the scrapyard or waste facilities
1: yeah I think this definitely I once once somebody becomes interested or thinks they're interested in the topic we've had a number of great experiences at GBB recently with people that came in on an internship and got to, you know, do a waste sort and go to some processing facilities and have just been so fired up by that experience that they've said, you know, this is what I want to do forever and I think it is it's not everybody's passion but if it is and you can find a gateway to it um, it's really important. I mean we've seen some really great success through the internships that's like people proactively reaching out to us as well as Connecting to people at the trade shows and the conference uh, conferences one on one. We often have the booths. People come up and say, "Hey, I'm really interested in, or you know, heard someone speak from GBB, or can can I can I get connected to you?" We've had, as a company, we've been around now for 40 years, so we're not big, but we've had a big big breadth of um, clients and worked in every state and um, also abroad. So there's a good. Uh, amount of people that kind of know the name and we so we have some people like I said who reach out proactively but we're also actively um, looking for people and a lot of that is the face-to-face but it's also a good thing to think about I think on the referrals you know from your current staff and through their networks um, who do they know I'm, I'm always thinking about the people that I know from my past and where they've landed and if they'd maybe be interested in the consulting world, which really takes you out of, you know, the municipal perspective, which is there's a lot of benefits to, but it takes a long time to make change. And some people like my personality is driven by the idea that we can, what can we do quick, more quickly? And, you know, and I, I think this, the pace of consulting is, is, right for certain people. And so we just try to find, we try to replicate the people that we have that are working and that kind of, and then make sure we have diverse opinions and backgrounds and viewpoints because we're working in so many different communities. It's really important to um, have our team also represent the clients that we're serving.
0: Got it. And you mentioned you get some of these people through internships. What is the program like at GBB and are these interns people already studying sustainability at college or they like they have no idea what they want to do but then they come and that's how they enter the industry
1: yeah no i more the the, more the latter i think that we there's enough people that are in um, undergraduate or graduate programs focused on some aspect could even be finances could be energy could be resources but that there's people we generally are looking either for a program while they're in school or for a a first experience once they get out, and I think um, it's more that they already have a topical interest. And the one the good thing is that I mean, we haven't had many people just say hang up their hat and say no this isn't for me. It's more that I think we do, you know, f- try to find the right match from the beginning. Although the the good thing is the entry level positions you sort of can use that to make sure it's a good fit on both sides, and that it's the right direction for both the future employee and the employer.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show today, Jennifer.
1: Thank you so much.